which way it went, where they saw it. But anyway, uh, today's reading is, you've heard this for as long as you've been in the church. Um, but as I want to do, I'm going to peel the onion back just a little bit. Because we're in the fifth chapter of Matthew, uh, what's the first verse? When Jesus saw that his ministry was drawing huge crowds, he climbed up on a hillside. And those who were apprentices to him, the committed, climbed up there with him. And arriving at this quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, when with less of you, there is more of God and God's rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you are content with just who you are, no more, no less. Let me read that again. You are blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. God's food and drink is the best meal that you will ever have. You are blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete and fight. <coughs> That's when you discover who you really are and what your place is in God's family. You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's realm. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is, is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give cheer, even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds and you know that you're in good company. For my prophets and the witnesses have always gotten into that kind of trouble. Amen. So, let's, uh, let's do a little exegetical work. How many of you sitting in this room, of course, 
mostly people been around me for a long time, so this may backfire on me. How many of you sitting in this uh, church today, uh, just by a show of hands, believe that this is an actual sermon that Jesus actually preached? Wow. You're either all a bunch of skeptics or I've been a good teacher. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, just let's cement this together. Chapter five, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is a collection of sayings that both, write, both the author of Matthew and the author of Luke chose um, to share in a sermon format or in a story format. Uh, in Matthew, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. And the other interesting thing is these Beatitudes, what are traditionally called the Beatitudes, are found originally in the Old Testament. You know, the Psalms, Isaiah has them. I mean, there's just all kinds of places. And they're usually um, uh, used as a a measuring stick which is the way the story gets told here you, you are blessed when you do such and such now the reason I said that I wanted to peel the onion back a little bit on this particular Beatitudes is because you know I spend a lot of week a lot of my week uh, with lots of folks out of the congregation and the community saying to me they have no idea how to meet God just, you know, yeah, I go to God and, and, I, and I pray my stuff, but I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know <clears throat> what God, it's almost like, you know, we want God to pick up the phone, call us up. Hi, Mike, this is God. And here is what I would like you to do this week, right? I mean, we all kind of struggle with that. We all kind of struggle with the what ifs, don't we, James? <laughs> you know, we, it's like, okay, if I do this, this is going to happen, and oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that, and all of that kind of stuff. So it becomes this long conversation of how do I meet God? We are really good at going to God with what we consider our needs are, are we not? God, I need this. God, I need a job. God, I need strength. God, I need courage. God, fix this. God, heal me. God, do this, do this, do this. But we are really not so hot on actually coming face to face with God. Now, there's probably a couple of reasons, if we're really honest. Because it's like anything. We see God as what? All-powerful. Traditional churches made God into this, this giant genie, right? That, that is just there to help us and to, and to fix us. And then on the other side of the coin is like this big space daddy that's going to punish us if we don't think right or if we don't do the, the right things. That we don't have any trouble with, I guess, in our heads as far as having a conversation with that because we, we think that God is magnificent and, and it loves us and is going to hear us and is going to fix anything. But where it becomes troublesome is when we have 
to meet God and say, okay, God, I've put out my needs to you. You ready? But what would you like me to do? How many? Well, I don't want you to show your hands because I don't, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody. But how many as part of your prayer life, that's the way you end your prayer. How many actually say, okay, God, what would you have me to do? I can tell you that that's part of the reason that I've started taking our prayer time um, and, and instead of as, as the pastor leading it and, or the people that are leading prayer and praise at that point, leading it and putting in all this verbiage and all these words, is just shut up. Let's take seriously for a moment of meeting God. I think that we put all the verbiage in because we're afraid, hello, of what we might hear. What is it that God expects of you? What is it? You know, uh, I thought Mike, uh, his, his, during prayer praise, uh, his request to pray for all those people that were involved in that accident. Sure, you know, it's an easy thing to talk about and to think about the people that were killed. I mean, you know, that's obvious. But we don't think about all the businesses around there that are gonna be affected. All the people that, as of Monday morning, because they're out there trying to repair that, are not going to get to work very easily. Or they're not going to be able to get where they need to go. And that there's going to be consequences between that. It's a, it's a whole big thing. And sometimes we don't think about that. And yet, here's the peel back of the onion, that is what the Beatitudes are. See, I think that a lot of times the Beatitudes get taught with this idea, isn't this sweet? Isn't this nice? But in actuality, what the Beatitudes are is saying, this is how you meet God. When you have done this, you are in the presence of God. You get that? You don't have to figure out where to go. If you read these, pray about these, and put these in your coffer, so to speak, that you are in the presence of God. What did I do with my glasses? You do the work. Amen. For instance, it's interesting, and I already mentioned this, um, that we ought to go to God. Our encounter with God is that we're seeking something. We need to do something special, expend an effort, uh, oh, how many people, how many, you know, it's amazing how many times I ask people, do you pray? And they look at me and go, well, yes. But you know what they're really saying? That's what the pastor wanted to hear. <laughs> and you know, because it gets really hard to pray, does it not? Because if we don't, if we're feeling good, it, like James said today, hey, man, I'm feeling really good. Thank you, God. And we go on with our day, and that's the end of it. Did it occur to us to meet God, to listen to God? In our search for God, if we actually do that, it is about 
recognizing that if we're poor in spirit, the kingdom or the realm of heaven is ours. What's poor in spirit mean? Somebody give me quick, quick, quick. Because, you know, we live in a capitalistic society, so everybody sits there and goes, what is poor in spirit? I think you'd be depressed. Huh? Depressed. Depressed? Poor in spirit. Not okay. Lonely. Lonely? Blessed. So why would God bless you if you were lonely, depressed, or whatever, in spirit? Poor in spirit means, you ready? Humble. Open. In other words, see, the, the Greek word that got used here, remember back in the day, you know, they, they measured what? They measured whether they were okay by what? Their wealth, by how much they had. How much, you know, could you, could you point at? And so, in spirit, who were the people that were the spiritually elite? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders of the church. And those people that were outside the church were somehow considered poor. Because they were humble. They were, they were not the intellectuals, etc. And so Jesus said, look, you are blessed if you were that. If you're on the outside, if you are humble, then you're blessed. If you're blessed, and here's the piece that you got to hang on to today with every one of these, is when you are blessed, that means you are in the presence of God. Stop looking for God. You're there. Which, if you follow this, because now I'm going to give you the more traditional definitions of this. If you follow this, this means you are never out of the presence of God. Andre? Never. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, we're all sad at times. But there, if you're sad, if you're lonely... Depressed, where you go? Into the presence of God. What all of these words mean is quite simply this. Those of you who are living out your life in faith, those who will go about seeking to do what is right, those who are able to feel their pain and express it, those who are trying to show mercy, those who are willing to accept insult and injury, those who seek to make peace, and those who walk humbly with God are in the very presence of God. That's what these Beatitudes are about. It's not trying to figure out how to behave. This is an attitude. This is a heart. This is, where am I? And you're in the presence of God. So the next time you pray, be in the presence of God. Let those things flow through you. See how you can be poor in spirit. See how you can be a blessing to the meek. See how you can be merciful. You know, how can you be pure of heart? By the way, that's probably out of the, out of the bunch that's probably the hardest 
because it kind of feels like I think sometimes for us that that's kind of arrogant. You know, I, I know when I was a kid, uh, we had a girl that we called her uh, Miss Susie Q because she just thought she was the best thing going. That isn't being pure in heart, man. Pure in heart is the person that I met two weeks ago that is on the last stage of an opportunistic infection uh, that caused cancer to be in their body. They've been HIV positive for 20 years. The medication has stopped working. And when I went to visit them, um, I said to them that one of your family's members said that they wanted me to pray with you because you were scared. And they looked at me and said, no, why would I be scared? I know that God loves me. And I know that what's about to happen is I'm going to be with God. What I'm scared about is that my family won't understand that. That, my friends, is being pure in heart. That is being in the presence of God. If you want to be in the presence of God, go back and read these Beatitudes. You don't have to look very far. God bless you.